Well, welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors. I am personally on a journey on my own to become a better version of me. I am currently 31 years old, and uh, man, that sounds so old. <laughs> but uh, man, I'm just loving life. I live in Utah. I have an amazing family. I have five children. I have a beautiful wife. And I just want to be a better version of me spiritually, physically, uh, emotionally, every single day. And that's what I strive for. I'm, I'm nowhere near perfect, but I'm working on progress every day, one step at a time, daily investments. So uh, that's what I talk about here on the podcast, guys. And uh, I don't do a lot of editing. I don't do anything too fancy. I'll trip over my words and uh, just enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. If you're new here, uh, just know that today being Tuesday, it's Tinkering Tuesday. Usually it's gear reviews, but I'm going to be throwing in some mindset or some storytelling as well, tinkering with your way of doing things, um, not just with gear. Uh, I love gear. I'm a gear nerd. But as far as tinkering goes, man, I, I just love telling stories and, uh, and, and sharing experiences so that you can get better as well. Uh, and hopefully learn from my failures as much as I do uh, without you having to go through those failures. And then on Saturdays, I have awesome guests, people that are experts in their fields, people that are just wanting to live a better life and have learned and want to share their experience with you as well. Uh, for all of those reasons, guys, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, look forward to those episodes. Subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, if you're not, if you're listening to the audio only version, follow and subscribe there as well. Leave a review, even if it's one word. Definitely appreciate that. And on any of my episodes, guys, all of the partners of the show, they're all there uh, down below. <clears throat> Excuse me. I put them in every single episode so you can go through. And if you're in the market to support me, uh, through buying you new gear, uh, I love giving you a discount and uh, supporting the partners of the show. If you're not able to support financially, again, just leave a review, subscribe, and share. Tag me on social media. I'd really appreciate that as well, guys. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to tell you about my first elk with a bow. Man, it's been a couple years in the making. So let's back up a little bit here. First and foremost, guys, uh, I started hunting. Well, I had a, I was born with a lifetime hunting and fishing license gifted to me by my great grandfather. Uh, he had the foresight to know that those wouldn't always be available. And uh, he wanted to purchase one for me at my birth. And that was out in North Carolina where I'm from. I used the fishing portion of that license pretty much every year of my life growing up. Absolutely loved fishing. But uh, one year I went out and uh, went to do a rifle whitetail hunt. And for me personally, it just didn't, it didn't make sense. I don't, I don't want to upset anyone. Um, I'm not, I don't judge anybody that goes out and does rifle hunting with, uh, you know, whitetail. But for me, uh, I, I love animals and it just seemed too easy uh, to just have three shooting lanes, one with feed, one with a salt lick and uh, one with a feeder on the other end, all of those things, it just didn't make sense to me. And so I didn't really enjoy hunting per se, uh, because none of my, none, none of my family members used a bow. It was just a rifle. And so I stuck with 
Um, I stuck with archery. Or sorry, I stuck with fishing all of my life growing up. Then I came out west. So I served an LDS mission. If you don't know what LDS is, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, a.k.a. Mormon, as a lot of people may know that. But I grew up that way and chose to serve a mission. An LDS mission went down and served in Mexico for two years. Uh, So yes, I'm fluent in Spanish. If you guys need translator help, let me know. Be more than happy to help. Came back to Utah, and I went to uh, go back to college, but I wanted to save up some money first. My mom had moved out here at the time, and uh, so came out here and was saving up for college, and uh, ended up finding a beautiful woman uh, and got married, and also went to college, uh, finished that up, and, and I fell in love with the West. I fell in love with the public land out here. I fell in love with uh, the the animals. I mean, the mule deer compared to whitetail, they're just majestic. Uh, elk are amazing. Turkeys, the mountains, public land, hiking, all of it. Absolutely love it. And so with that being said, uh, someone in our neighborhood uh, went over to help him move something or something along those lines and saw all of his Euro mounts in his garage and asked him if I could tag along and go on a hunt. Uh, This was, I I probably should have written down the date. I'm terrible at journaling, but it's been almost a decade. It's probably been eight years or more. After that first year of just tagging along with Brent, uh, who's one of my best friends, I ended up investing in a rifle and got into Western hunting. And uh, for the first couple years, I was successful on all of my tags. I never really went for elk, but uh, deer between uh, does and bucks, I was successful every single year. And that was a couple years. And then I decided to try elk, went out for elk and realized there's a lot of people that hunt elk with a rifle. So we call it the orange army, the pumpkin patch, whatever you want to call it. And I didn't want to deal with that. So what I ended up doing was... Uh, I went over to archery because my buddy had bugged me for a couple years, said he didn't really have any family members that would shoot with him anymore or go archery hunting. And uh, he knew I was into fitness and long story short, went way down the rabbit hole of archery, as you guys know. And uh, along those lines, uh, you know, you can see my progress over the last couple of years. And I, I got a bow and told myself, you know, within the first year, I wouldn't apply for or get a tag uh, until I'd been shooting a bow for a year. That was a personal choice, nothing against people that pick up a bow and go hunting. But I wanted to be as ethical as possible. And uh, anyway, the the first, let's see, first year I had a bow. Um, I didn't draw any archery tags. And uh, I did have a muzzleloader tag. So I shot a a buck with a muzzle loader and didn't end up getting any elk that year. Uh, learned a lot, uh, saw some elk for the first time in person and, um, fell in love with, with the creatures. I, I say first time alive in person. Um, I had been on a rifle hunt with my buddy the year before, and that's kind of what got me hooked on elk. Uh, because he he shot one with a rifle and walking up on that, cleaning it, packing it out. It was just an experience that I wanted to repeat over and over again. So uh, fast forward again to my first year bow hunting. We got into some elk. 
I learned a ton by listening to some amazing individuals, uh, learning from, from their education, their experiences. And then the second year, I uh, went out again. Uh, I'd gone to a couple camps and uh, just soaked up as much knowledge as I could, became as proficient as possible with a bow and set certain standards for myself that, um, you know, I wouldn't shoot past X yardage, et cetera. And I had some good experiences, um, had some really good experiences actually. And then the, so I'm just kind of fast forwarding through all this because in previous podcasts, I go over all of in detail, those different elk seasons, but basically, uh, my first two seasons, I was unsuccessful. And then this year, so this year, um, was a little different. I've never hunted out of state for elk. Uh, and so I went to, well, we set up a hunt me and I went with the first form guys. Um, and I won't talk about necessarily the successes and failures of that portion of the hunt, uh, because that will be coming out on a video that I'm super excited to share with you guys. But we set up a hunt. We were going out to Colorado. A lot of the guys were coming out from the East Coast or Midwest and coming out here to hunt in kind of my stomping grounds, uh, but in Colorado. So we had an amazing man uh, in Colorado. His name is Joe. He's going to be coming on the podcast who uh, was very gracious and shared some knowledge of a unit uh, that we ended up hunting. And so the first couple days of the hunt, uh, we saw some amazing animals. Um, the first form guys weren't necessarily able to make it out there. I was able to out, get out there a little bit early because my drive was only five and a half, six hours uh, ish. And so that first morning I found a bull that was really awesome. I called him Hellboy. Uh, he had four main beams. It seemed like from the spotting scope that came out forward and then curved back just like Hellboy's horns. Or if you haven't seen Hellboy, go look it up. And uh, that's what we named him. And he was like clockwork. The couple mornings that we saw him, he was up there with his eight or nine cows uh, on this hillside, but it ended up being private and he would not come off a of private. So after a couple days of, of that, uh, we decided to move areas and I won't again, go into those details cause that'll come out in a later video, but long story short, we got into some really steep stuff. Uh, I actually had my release ripped out of my bino harness, which is super important why you should have a backup release in your backpack at all times. Uh, even if you don't think you're going to lose it, I was not going back for that release. Uh, Definitely not uh, with the, the crap that we were going through. So with that being said, um, let's see, we went through that area, had an amazing time. Again, I'm not going to go over the, the successes and failures of that particular event. Look forward to that video, guys. I'm really excited to share that with you. It was such a great adventure uh, going out with Jake and Dale and AJ and Jake's family, Tristan, Joe. We just had a blast. Colorado is gorgeous, guys. It is beautiful. It is steep as all get out, but it is gorgeous. They had to leave Friday evening. And so when them with them leaving Friday evening, I decided to go back to uh, the other portion of the unit that I knew had elk in it. And um, 
Well, that Friday night, get to the place where I was planning on hiking in, that trailhead, was covered in an entire a huge camp. And they just planted camp right there at the trailhead. So I knew I wasn't going to be going into that trail uh, to do the glassing that I had planned on. So I, I looked for a plan B. And it got down to about 25 degrees that night. And uh, I was really excited because usually when it gets cold like that, it's just going to be a good morning. You at least see movement in the animals. And so I got out of bed and I started glassing the hillsides and the mountainsides. And I saw some animals, lots of mule deer. Uh, of course, the ones, the elk that were on private were still there. Just like clockwork, um, it was a little frustrating. <laughs> I wanted them to come off just up the drainage a little bit and they would have been on public. But, uh, you know, didn't spend much time watching them. And then went back and, of course, I found the tallest and furthest mountain in that portion of the unit. And I got a glimpse of a nice tan body. And those of you that have glassed for elk know what I'm talking about. It just stands out like a sore thumb. And I saw the body and then I saw antler tips over the tree and I could count what looked like at least five, which in Colorado is legal to have at least four points or more on one side. And, uh, at least in the unit that I was hunting and, and I said, well, I just kind of looked at it. And I looked down at the map and I was like, I'm not even going to guess how far that is because I know it's a couple miles, at least one way. And it's my last day here, last full day to hunt. So we're going to hell marry this because I know there's an elk there and you don't leave elk to find elk. So at least that's what the experts say, the people that are consistently successful. So make my trek over to the mountain. And I hike up and of course the thermals and the prevailing wind was almost overriding the thermals because it was just blustering uphill all morning and throughout the day. So I decided to go kind of around uh, a side that even if my thermals made it all the way up the hill, uh, they would kind of crest over the peak and not get to the elk. So I get up to about where the tree line was that I had last seen them kind of working, feeding down into. And I start to side hill. And as I'm side hilling, you know, I let out a bugle, didn't hear anything, got my one trekking pole and my bugle tube over here and I have my bow in my left hand. And, uh, I kind of crest over this tiny little ridge of this drainage and I go to set my trekking pole down and my bugle tube down and I look up and there's this dark Y about 30 yards is what it ended up being from me. And by the dark why, I mean, there's a face with a spike looking right at me. So I freeze. And luckily I'd already set my tube and, uh, and trekking pole down. And I freeze there and the winds are still blowing uphill. So they're not going to him. He can't figure out what I am. And they were bedded. And I say they, because there was a, an elk behind him. And spikes are not legal, so I didn't bother knocking an arrow or any of that. And uh, he stands up, kind of stretches, and starts to walk off. And then there's uh, there was a bull that had stood up behind him, and I counted at least four points on one side. So I knew there was a legal bull there. And uh, But unfortunately, the spike was acting almost like a bodyguard where he was, they were both broadside, but the spike was right in front of him, and uh, there was no shot. So... 
I watched them stretch, yawn, etc. cetera. Uh, they didn't make much noise. They kind of walked off to about 70, 75 yards. And by then the brush was too thick. I was worried about hitting a branch. And I kind of watched them work their way slowly. Uh, they were still looking back at me, but they worked their way slowly down the drainage. And in my head, I was thinking, well, they're not spooked. Uh, the wind is blowing up and they went down. Uh, so that's a good sign. And I'm just going to give them some time. And uh, so I work my way to the peak of this mountain because I was pretty sure I'd seen at least five points on one side on this bull that I caught in the spotting scope. And so uh, I was pretty sure that there was another, at least one other elk in here, at least one other bull. So I work my way to the top, let out a couple bugles, some cow calls, no response. The wind is still whipping. Sit down and have some snacks and, uh, and rehydrate. And then I work my way back down to the tree line. And when I get down to the tree line, uh, I, I could see their path where they had worked their way down to the bedding. So at that point, I'm like, okay, well, maybe there were some other elk that I didn't see that had moved off, et cetera. All these things are going through my head. And, uh, and, and prior to this, I had set a limit on myself that I felt comfortable with, the broadheads of shooting uh, that were in my quiver and my own personal ability. Uh, I felt comfortable shooting an elk at 70 yards as long as it was presented similar to a broadside. I'm not going to shoot a frontal at 70. I'm not going to shoot a quartering two. That's probably one of the worst shots in my opinion that I would try not to shoot. And then, uh, you know, quartering away, et cetera, has to be a good, good size target for me to shoot at 70, but that was my limit. And, and so I start working down the drainage a little bit. And as I'm working down the drainage, uh, I just pause for a second and look at the map. Cause I, at this point I'd lost their tracks. Uh, there was a lot of brush, et cetera. So there wasn't really any definitive tracks. They weren't running. Uh, they obviously weren't bleeding or anything. So I kind of lost their tracks a little bit. I figured where they would go following the contour lines and, uh, looked at the map and there was a spot where there was almost, it wasn't a cliff, but it was a, a really steep back wall, a bench, some shade. And, uh, I just kept thinking like that would be an amazing spot. If I was an elk, that'd be a great spot to bed. You're protected from the back. Uh, it's all crunchy around you. So if they try to, if anything tries to approach you from either side, you're going to hear it and the wind's blowing just crazy uphill. So you'll be able to smell anything that's coming from below you. So I get kind of to the edge of this little ridge there and I said a prayer. And now, uh, just about any time I go out hunting, I, uh, say a prayer similar to, you know, provide me with a shot opportunity if it's your will. And, and I understand that if it's not, it's not, but, uh, you know, if it's in the cards for me, I'd appreciate at least a shot opportunity. And then at that point, it's within my power uh, to make that shot. And that's something that you train for all year. I firmly believe that you should be training year round with your bow, get comfortable with it. So I say that prayer, I look up and the, uh, oh man, I'm getting, I'm getting chills. The, uh, the bull was sitting right there. And at first I was a little spooked because you got to understand the brush was kind of loud that day. Um, it was almost like walking on popcorn and I, he was, he was uh, broadside to me, but his, his head was kind of angled towards me. And I mean, this is a steep downhill slope, uh, just to give you an idea. It was almost a 30 degree downhill 
slope uh, from where I was to where the bull was. I couldn't see the spike and I knew the spike was with him. So I was concerned about spooking the spike and making him run. And two, I thought he had seen my movement. Well, I pull up my binoculars and uh, I see that he's dozing. He's not looking at me. He's dozing. So I take two steps to the right where the trees were blocking his view of me. And I had an entire, I basically had his, his entire body. It was, it, it was almost like total archery challenge where I could pick a spot and fling the arrow. And I then at that point, pull up the rangefinder, and I could take a breath, take my time, pull up the rangefinder, And with the angle compensation, he was exactly 70 yards at a negative, I think it was 25 or 26 degree slope downhill. So, you know, I dial my sight, get it to 70. And the elk, the way he was positioned, uh, because it was bedded, I was concerned that if you know the anatomy of an elk, and I'm no expert, but from what I understand, their shoulder blades are really thick. And from what I've seen personally, their shoulder blades are really thick. And then when they lay down, their rib cage almost kind of compresses a little bit. So it forms this really nice barrier protection around their vitals. So I decided to shoot more towards the back of the lungs and liver, kind of in that area, back lungs, liver. And so with that, I decided to shoot uh, this mechanical, which the evolution's mechanical. I want to say it's the, uh, it's the hide. See, Dr. Jekyll, I always get this confused because the Jekyll and Hyde, either way, the evolution's broadhead uh, mechanical which is just a crazy, awesome mechanical broadhead. But I chose a mechanical because I wanted there to be a bigger hole, more damage caused, because I knew I was shooting him a little further back than if he was standing broadside where I would shoot. Uh, So I chose the mechanical. And here's just, like I said, the wind's blustering uphill like crazy. And all I remember between the time I put the arrow on to when I got started with my shot process um, is it felt like the wind died. And I got these kind of horse blinders on to where I was super focused. I wasn't shaky. I was still. And all I remember is drawing back. And when I drew back, I don't remember feeling, and I'm, I'm drawing, uh, I think it's 83 pounds ish and it's a smooth bow, but I don't remember feeling the draw cycle at all. And this is the cool part is I, you know, I drew back. I was, I had plenty of time. I leveled my bubble. I went through my entire process. So I draw back and I'm, I'm using the stand clicker here, the stand C and draw back and I'm looking down. I've got my bubble, it's level, and then I hinge down and check the bubble again, it's level. My pin is just buried in that spot, just behind the shoulder blade, and he's just behind the shoulder blade. And then I take that breath, and I roll, and then you can hear this, 
That little click right there, guys. That little click in the stand C did its job. And what that job is, is it brings me back to the moment to where I say, here I go. And all I remember, and man, it just it sends chills down, down, uh, down my back every time I think about it, was everything just seemed to be perfect. The wind seemed to have died. The bubbles, the bubble was level. Um, and I just pulled through the shot and it was an amazing clean break. And then I hear a thwap that, you know, so I knew I hit him. He popped up and then ran about 20, maybe 30 yards at the most and was still within my line of sight. And he stops and he just kind of hunched. And I, I saw the spike run over to him as well. And, uh, I pulled up my binos and I confirmed a solid hit. Two holes, the arrow had gone straight through and had done his job. And he bedded right there. Now, it was a, again, a further back shot. So, what I decided to do after watching him for a little bit of time was I pulled out, marked his spot, and I didn't want to bump him because, like I said, they picked a really great spot to bet. If I'd gone around either side, it would have bumped him. And you know what can happen when they start to run? Uh, they can run forever. And I didn't want that, those chemicals, those hormones pumping through him um, <laughs> when I was about to harvest his meat, to be honest with you. That was another thing, too. And so the uh, I watched him for a while. And um, when I knew it was going to take him a little bit of time to, to pass away, I pulled out and, um, and walked back out to camp. Um, on my way out, I got to experience pretty cool, um, chuckles. There was a bull, a good five by five. That was not too far away from me within a hundred yards. I walked off. I got to watch him walk off, got some footage of him. And then there was another smaller raghorn that, uh, that got bumped and he ran off on my way out. And then I met Joe in back of the truck. He was super excited. And, uh, and we, we had a good meal first thing in the morning, we head up there and, um, I, I think it was a really good decision to leave him because by the time we got back up there, I mean, there was, it was blood everywhere, guys. I mean, it was an amazing shot. Uh, the, the arrow did its job. I put it where I wanted it to go. Um, the broadhead did its job. Uh, it looks like, and I'm going to call this bull and this is him right here. I'm going to call him resilient. Uh, that's going to be the name I'm giving him, but resilient had, it looked as though he had stood up in the night to rebed one more time and, uh, toppled over just from, from blood loss. So I know I made the right decision by pulling out and getting there first thing in the morning. Uh, but I, I, I will tell you that everything seemed to come together in that moment. Any of the, the training that I'd had through, Again, there's so many people that I can thank for this, but um, physical training and nutrition, uh, education through First Form Outdoors, uh, working with that company has been outstanding. Uh, information from Dan Elkshape, man, I mean, it's priceless, guys, going to his camps and learning from the experts there, uh, learning about aero flight and trajectory, uh, choosing the right broadhead for the job, uh, testing the flight of the arrow, choosing the right spine, all of those things came in. Uh, Joel Turner, 
shot IQ, Stan with the, with the C, the clicker, that whole process, the shot process that I practiced time and time and time again, uh, where I didn't feel the jitters until after the shot and I saw him bed down and I just broke down in tears and uh, was super excited and thankful for everything. Um, Wild Arrow for getting the bow set up, uh, PSE. There's so many things, guys, that I'm so grateful for. And I give a shout out to so many people. My wife for taking the kids for 10, 11 days, over 70 miles uh, plus vertical and everything else that went into that. Um, Joe for coming and helping me pack out. I mean, there's so many things that go into this, this success story here. But really, guys, uh, it comes down to making sure you have the right equipment. And when I say the right equipment, it doesn't have to be the newest, fanciest, shiniest stuff, but stuff that you can be confident in is going to do the job when the time comes. So that when it comes to making that shot, all you have to do is go through your shot process. And you learn that shot process and you practice it over and over and over again. Guys, I'm no expert. This is my first elk with a bow. First bull. And he's a five by four right here. Gorgeous bull. Absolutely healthy and just amazing. And I'm so grateful uh, for, for everyone that chipped in on this. But be confident with your equipment. You don't have to have the newest, shiniest, best stuff. Be confident with it. And then practice repetition over and over and over again. And it took me three years to get that bull down. Three years of work in the gym. Three years of rucking. Three years of uh, you know learning elk. Of learning from experts and people that have way more experience than me. Uh, that are you know learning from their own mistakes and teaching others. All of those things, guys, are key. So, again, I'm super stoked to share that story with you guys. Uh, there's going to be many more to come. I still have tags to fill. It's going to be a great rest of 2023. But if you have any questions or concerns or anything about the gear, like the you know the release, why I like the clicker, here's the arrow that took out Resilient. I'll show you guys the broadhead. So it went about this far into the dirt. So, uh, but I'll, I'll show you. I mean, this broadhead, if you've never seen the Evolution Mechanical, my goodness, look at that thing. It's got that kind of fixed cut on contact, and then it's got that, it's almost a two inch, if not a two inch. I think it is a two inch cutting diameter. Either way, the MFJJ half search right there, podium archery, victory, rip, TKOs, 250 spine, and then the AAE hybrids with an extreme helical i understand it's extreme first form outdoors fletchings and and wild arrow all of that's the gear guys but really what it came down to was being confident with it and then following my process so i'd love to hear down below drop it if you're watching on youtube uh what is your shot process uh what questions do you have and then um Again, guys, I, I'm not trying to pose as some expert, but I do want to share this experience with you and what I know kept me calm and uh, gave me the experience that I'll always remember. I won't have to say, oh man, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking when, I, when my shot went off. Uh, I could walk you through every single moment of it as clear as day to me. And uh, I will always remember that with this guy right here. So 
you have any questions, drop them below. If you're listening on audio, shoot me an email. Again, leave a review. I really appreciate it. Even just one word. And uh, shoot me a message on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, share your successes with me as well. I absolutely love seeing when people tag out and have cool stories to tell. And heck, maybe even get it on, on, on the podcast here. I'd love to hear those stories and share them with others. So uh, with that being said, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it.